What happens when two parent coaches, one a Christian and the other an agnostic Jew, sit down to talk about parenting? I'm Dina Thayer. And I'm Kira Dorian. Welcome to Raising Adults, a podcast about future-focused parenting. Hi, everyone. We are excited to be with you again today. Thank you for listening. Uh, Before we start today, we just want to take a moment to just thank our listeners and thank those of you that have already followed us on Facebook and Instagram at Raising Adults Podcast. Uh, I'm realizing that (laughs) it's important that we say that every episode because some people may not realize that they can follow us and actually following us on those platforms uh, keeps you updated on new episodes. And also uh, we post some really cool quotes and ideas on there. So we definitely want you to be engaging. Um, If you are on those platforms, please find us. Um, And so today we have a topic that was suggested by one of our listeners and we did ask, please write and if you have a topic and someone uh, did and they wanted us to do an episode on self-care and we just jumped right on that because we both agree that that's a huge topic especially for parents Um, and so we wanted to make sure that we get a chance to cover that in this season because we are starting to wrap up our season our season's going to finish just before Christmas Um, and so we wanted to make sure that we could kind of squeak that one in there so Dina do you want to start with your why Sure. And I have to agree. I love that people are actually taking us up on that Mm -hmm. and saying, here's something I'd like to hear about. And let me tell you, my why is different now than it was when I was a mom of babies and younger kiddos, because now I would say my why is because I did this pretty poorly. (laughs) (laughs) I just didn't do a fantastic job. But at that time, my why was a lot about healing. I had become a childbirth educator before having my second baby. And I knew more because of that, that the recovery matters so much. And so I was just a little bit more educated, I Mm. think, by the time I had my second baby. And so my why at that time was, oh, I really want to recover well. I want to be able to be present. Now I have two kiddos and I want to have the energy for them. I would say now, being a parent of teenagers and young adults, my why is, hey, I didn't do a good job back then. I really want to move forward into doing this better. And the other thing for me is that as a Christian, there's a piece of this too, because I think the temptation could be for people who have a faith paradigm is to think, well, this is selfish and we're not supposed to be selfish. Mm -hmm. And I actually couldn't disagree more because I think it's critical to remember that If you have a faith paradigm, if you believe in a God of any sort, especially one that's benevolent and loving like I do, that God definitely cares that you are cared for as you go about caring for others. And I also just think we really can't effectively care for other people if we're depleted ourselves. You really have nothing to give from if you're empty. So it became for me really important that I fill my own tank, so to speak, so that I have something to give. Otherwise, I'm just burning the candle at both ends or feeling like a rubber band that's about to snap and I'm not going to do a good job. So for me, this also leaks over into my belief system because I think, wow, you know, God is a huge fan of me, would want me to take good care of myself. And I'm going to do such a better job serving my family, which is a gift if I'm not completely tapped out. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. No, that makes perfect sense. So before I share my why, I'd like, I'm curious, what, what do you think? You have a question? I have. No way. (laughs) I have a question. What do you think made you bad at it? 
I think it was a lot about my wiring, my type A personality. So the way I viewed this, and I was just telling you before we came on, actually, we were talking as we got ready. I was telling Kira that I became a huge proponent of this in my birth classes because I had done a bad job. So I was telling all of my expectant families, please don't ignore this fact. Take good care of yourself after you've had a baby. It's really important. But the reason I kind of stunk at it is because I'm so type A++++ and so firstborn and all of the cliches you can throw at me, I kind of fit all of those stereotypes. And so what happened is we all hear this little phrase, sleep when the baby sleeps. And what I did is once my baby was asleep, I viewed it as now I can get something done. Yes, I was the same way. So I was just the worst. And and of course, when they're awake, you want to be with them. It's amazing. I used to really wonder, what did I used to do for entertainment before I had this baby to stare at? Because every time my baby was awake, I wanted to just be looking at them, even when they weren't exciting, right? Even when they're tiny and they don't roll over or crawl, they're just, you're just... I don't know, mesmerized. Yeah. yeah. So I just think that had a little bit to do with kind of just how I'm wired mm-hmm. and that I'm looking for, hey, where can I fit productivity? Mm-hmm. And any little space I can fit it in, I want to fit it. So for me, that was once baby's asleep, oh, I can finally get something done. So where do you think the crossover is? Because I'm the same way. I mean, I was a, I, I am actually a terrible napper, so I could not nap when the baby naps. And I actually get driven completely insane by people that are adamant about that. Like, you should be napping when the baby, okay, that's great for people who can nap, but for people who can't nap, that just puts pressure. One more thing I'm supposed to be doing that, that I'm, I'm not. failing at, right. right? So I was the same. I was a get things done. And I actually, for me, saw that as part of my self-care because I like things organized. I like things tidy. So I'm curious where you feel like the crossover is. Like, where did it tip from being a part of actually satisfying who you are and taking good care of keeping your home clean and, you know, et cetera, into, okay, now I'm not actually taking care of myself That's anymore. such a fantastic point you raise because self-care can be about making your environment the way you like it. And I am a person who needs organization. And so I don't think it's that that was necessarily all bad. It's that for me, it was to the exclusion of all else. I wasn't really ever resting or just mm. the only time I really sat was maybe when I was nursing. I wasn't taking time to recover from birth because even when it's great, even when it goes beautifully, even when it's a vaginal birth, maybe you don't have the recovery of a C-section or an incision to care for, does not mean your body hasn't been through something big. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't do maybe the best job of giving my body a chance to push pause, so Mm -hmm. to speak, and just recover from that event. And so for me, that's where it crossed from being well, this is also just how I am and I like a tidy house, et cetera, into you're not really taking the best care of yourself. You're starting to deplete yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'll say for me, you know, this is one of those interesting twin things because twins buy you a lot. They buy you a really um, unique view from other people. So people have different expectations of twin moms than they do of non-twin moms. So for example, we did sleep training with our twins. And even people who were against sleep training were like, well, of course you did sleep training. (laughs) You had two. And it fascinated me because it's like, well, there's still two individual babies, right? So if if you think that we're going to like completely mess up one baby by doing sleep training, but it's like, oh, well, you had to because you had two. Yeah, it was really interesting. So 
Um, I also remember my friend Laura, when I found out I was pregnant, um, she had like one of those baby swings and she was going to sell it to me for like 30 bucks. Super reasonable. And when she found out I was having twins, she was like, you can just have the swing. Oh. <laughs> you know, it was like, a, I was like, is this a pity swing? She was like, this is totally a pity swing. <laughs> so I think people give you a lot more grace. And so they almost... Like, people were just really understanding of me needing self-care. It was like, well, of course you need self-care. Like, how are you even surviving this experience? Whereas with one baby, I I don't think the world gives that same level of grace. Um, So I think twins helped me immensely because I was aware I was going to need it. Mm -hmm. It was like there was no way I was going to survive that without self-care. But I also had that thing that I think, I think every mother has, which is this feeling of like, I'm, I'm not supposed to, I'm not supposed to, I'm supposed to be here doing everything for you that you need. Mm-hmm. Even though there were so many times I wasn't like you, I, I, I really struggled with all the feelings at the beginning and the bonding. And um, so even though I oftentimes didn't want to sit and gaze at them, I was like, I'm supposed to sit and gaze at you, you know, that that feeling. So I had a lot of like, I'm not supposed to leave. I'm not supposed to go get coffee. I'm not supposed to take mm-hmm. a walk by myself. I'm supposed to be here caring for you. And that's where my type A really came in. I mean, you'll remember I had like charts. Do you remember yes. my charts? I had like, it was the only way I could keep track of who had eaten, who had pooped, you know, whose diaper had been changed was we kept everything on a chart. And it was, and then when we went to the pediatrician and they're like, well, how many times a day does he poop? We could just look at our charts instead of, I don't know, this one, it's, it's all a blur, right? Yeah. So I think that's where my type A came in was this, like, I'm supposed to be doing X, Y, and Z. And the feeling of stepping away from that felt really challenging. But I did. I did a really good job of stepping away. And I also had a lot of support. My parents were nearby. And I remember when the kids were like five weeks old, they came over and basically kicked us out. They were like, you guys need to leave for an hour. Do not come back. And, you know, we were kicking and screaming, no, no, no. And they essentially pushed us out the door. And it was great because Fantastic. it was so early that I think then we felt like, oh, look at that. Everyone everyone lived. Um, and so I think that made us feel like we could do it again. And so we just kept kept going. We kept, we'd mm-hmm. go out for dinner. We'd go for a walk. Um, Dave and I would take turns overnight sometimes. Um, we got really good at at self-care because we really, really needed it. But the why for me was... Um, I have rambled again, unsurprisingly. Um, the why for me was really that exactly what you said. I can't, I cannot possibly care for these two children if I am all done. And I think because I was in the thick of postpartum depression, um, one of the things that was huge was part of my self-care was actually going and seeing my therapist. And it was necessary, right? Because I'm like in this dark Whole, having horrible feelings and big hard thoughts and all this scary stuff and it was like actually the only way I'm going to resolve this so that I can continue to be here with my children and I don't run away right or do something terrible is by taking an hour to go talk to someone and so it was almost like this forced self-care because I was so in the thick of it all that it was like no I have to I have to because I literally won't be here for them mm. if I don't um so I think that that was, that was a huge part of it. But then as they got older, because I think it's important we talk about self-care not just in the early phases. Yes, please. Because I see even my friends who have first graders, are, we're still all really struggling with this topic. And, and so as, I got, as they got older, I also began to think, you know, one day 
Rhiannon might have a baby. And I want to, to model for her, because we talk about modeling all the time, I want to model for her that it's okay for her when she has a baby to take a break, to go out for dinner, to have a job if she wants to work, to have a project she cares about that she's pouring herself into so that she doesn't see me, you know, burning the midnight oil, giving everything of myself and think, well, that's what my mom did. So I have to do that too. Yep, because they can internalize that as some pressure too, mm -hmm. especially when they really look up to their parents. Oh, I have to be like mom. Mm -hmm. She did it this way. I better do it this way. Plus, mm -hmm. but you said something really important. You said you're not one that wanted to sit and gaze at your babies. And in a way, you had a head start <laughs> on how people should act, which is when they're awake, does it mean mm. you're trained on them every second just because they're awake? That was a gift I learned to give myself, that awake time doesn't mean parents mm. give all their attention to the baby every time it's awake because that's not sustainable over the long term. And eventually they're going to be toddlers and then kids and they need to actually have the ability to self-entertain. Mm -hmm. So we can somewhat short circuit those skills if we set that foundation really early that every time your eyes are open, I'm with you. Also, for some babies, that's just overstimulating, mm -hmm. not to mention. But I, I am now with my sleep consulting clients and my other consulting clients just big on this. Awake time can happen independently, mm -hmm. at least part of it. Mm -hmm. So I kind of love that you had that head start. I'm sad, though, that for you, it felt like it was another should that you weren't crossing off the list. But I think it's important, even with infants, that sometimes they're just hanging out. Mm -hmm. And that really helps them regulate. It helps them learn things like self-soothing, which is one of their first skills. It helps them see that they aren't dependent on another person for entertainment mm -hmm. or to be stimulated. They could, parents can even prop open a simple board book on a blanket mm -hmm. we and that. leave a baby. And, and that is great for them. And I did that and did not regret it. Yeah, we have a great photo of Reese propped up on a boppy. Oh, yes, with I've the big, seen that. You've seen picture. that with the big book open. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and I also would, I think that it helps them you know, go down without you, wake up without you, right? If they've learned mm -hmm. to sort of be without you and self-entertain, then when they wake up and they're alone, they're like, oh, I'm in my crib and I'm happy. And, you know, it gives you a minute to come in before they freak out. Whereas right. if your eyes are, if they're used to when my eyes are open, your eyes are on me, that is going to feel really scary. Right. What do you set yourself up for there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So let's talk about how people can get self-care in the early years and also later down the line. So I guess it sounds like you didn't really have it at the beginning. So when you did transition into recognizing, oh, I'm gonna need some self-care, what were the things that you were doing? How have you set that up? I set up community self-care and individual. So the first thing I got, I won't even say good at, but better at was just taking a pause for myself, maybe go up and take a bath or leave my kiddos with my husband and go read for a little bit, go take a walk, little things like what you described. It might start with just that hour, mm -hmm. right? So I started there just an hour or even 30 minutes maybe. And then I also realized I'm going to need to sometimes be around adults. I felt like my brain was a little bit turning to mush because I was only around my baby and I was a stay-at-home mom at that time. So getting out with other 
people was a big deal too. So I set myself up some specific appointments during the week where I was either with a group of other moms or even just other women or just go on a walk with a friend. Had a couple of things I went to at my church, I think twice a week when my kids were younger. But that way there was a built-in, mm-hmm. here's a break, and I also get to interact in an adult way. So I kind of tried to do both, but I would say I started with, mommy just needs a minute, and then also saw that need for, oh, I'm going to need to be around some other grown-ups. Mm-hmm. Did you go away at all when they were young? Like for a night somewhere, a girlfriend or... The first time we went away overnight was when Sienna was almost one. So I went a whole year without doing that ever. and That's pretty good. I feel like I know people that the first time they went away, their kids were like seven. So that's pretty good. Yeah, so see, not terrible. Mm -mm. Okay. It was our anniversary, so it seemed like a legitimate thing. See, but even that, isn't that so interesting that you felt like you needed a legitimate reason Mm -hmm. To leave, as as oh, as if, me, as if sure. the space away, and the rejuvenation and the ability isn't to reason exist. enough. Yeah, mm-hmm. isn't that interesting? And I don't think. I mean, to be fair, I, that was a genuine statement I just made because I don't think with a baby that was not yet one, I don't think I would have done it if it wasn't. Hey, there's an event. Mm. I don't think I would have because I'm admitting I wasn't great at it back then. Right, right, so right, right. Now I feel quite differently about that, mm-hmm. and I go away now by myself on purpose for days. And mm-hmm. you know this. It's mm-hmm. a, a big thing for me, which I can talk about more in a minute. But no, I don't I don't think at that time I would have seen it as a fair reason, except, hey, there's this thing on the calendar that kind of matters. We mm-hmm. should probably spend some time together. So if someone had been able to whisper into your ear exactly what you needed to hear to feel differently about it, what do you think they would have said to you? Probably they would have appealed to my personality, which okay. is, you're actually going to be able to get more done <laughs> if you take a break. Okay. Newsflash. <laughs> because I'm captain productivity, and I love that. And the other thing for me is I'm so work before play. Mm-hmm. I think the standard reasons for self-care don't appeal to me because I don't get excited about taking a break if it means I'm not getting something done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, your self-care is very much achieving. Mm-hmm. And mine is too. Mm-hmm. But it's also that recognition that you're achieving outside of your kids. So I'll talk a little bit about some of the things I did when they were little. So Dave and I actually, and again, we had help. So it, it, not every family is going to be able to do what we did. My parents were in town and actively involved. But we went away every three months for the first year for a night. Just a night. Um, and it was... I mean, there aren't, there just aren't words. There are not words. It was so amazing. Um, and we'd sleep. I mean, mostly we would just sleep, but it felt like a little bit of freedom. We'd go maybe like to our old neighborhood and eat in an mm. old restaurant, you know, just getting that little bit of ourselves back. Dave and I also really, really switched off a lot. So it was like, okay, you go take an hour. And then when you come back, I'll oh, take an hour. Brilliant. Um, you know, on the weekends, one of us would sleep in on Saturday and the other one would sleep in on Sunday. And that didn't work forever because at a certain point we actually wanted to be together in the mornings on the weekends. But in those early days of survival, that worked really, really, really well. Um, so those are some of the things that we did. But I also did something else that I think people don't necessarily consider doing. And I wouldn't say I did it, you know, so thoughtfully and, you know, it, it, I stumbled onto it. But I worked on things that fueled me creatively when they napped. Mm. I actually wrote a play <laughs> when they were 
like eight months old. Um, I wrote this play. It, the idea came to me. I sat down. It's just a little tiny, tiny play. Um, and I wrote this play. And I submitted it. And it ended up getting picked up and produced in New York. And so when they were like... 14 months old, I actually flew out to go see my play produced. And it was just a tiny little play in a tiny little black box. I mean, it wasn't but a big still. deal. But it made me feel like I achieved something outside of my children. My brain was activated with something creative. And I had something to show for those months. As opposed to when you're raising babies, it doesn't feel like you've achieved anything like it's a huge achievement actually that they're alive and happy and fed fed. it doesn't feel that way you're like I I, everything keeps I have to keep achieving there's no end goal right I fed you and now I have to feed you again I did the laundry and now I have to do the laundry again again. as opposed to I wrote a play the end right it's done here it is oh and look now it's like moving forward into another achievement so that was huge and then right around that same time my former business partner and I wrote Hypnomothering, which is the program that's now like all over the world and designed for women who are transitioning into parenthood. I was in the thick of my own transition, wanting, like you did with your childbirth classes, wanting to make it better for other women. Like mm-hmm. this should be better for other people than it yes. was for me. Yes. And so we wrote this program and that program is like out in the world now. We have 250 practitioners all over the world teaching this program. And it was the same thing. It was, it was bigger than the day-to-day exists now outside of me. Um, It fueled me creatively, and I felt like I was making a difference. Well, and how nice for you. I mean, you can probably talk more about this, but you did something as Kira, not as Risa Rhiannon's mom. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly it. And I think not enough people realize that that's often, I think, why the bath or the reading the book, it doesn't, or the getting your nails done, it doesn't do it. It's like, that's nice. That's great self-care. But that being your only self-care, it doesn't, it doesn't exist beyond that moment. Whereas creating something, even if you're knitting or sewing or drawing or anything that you can do that makes you feel like you exist outside of them and you have created something outside of them and own something outside of them, I think that's enormous. If you're wired like that. Because to me, that just sounds like work. I would not have wanted to spend my... Like, to me... The, mm. Even the, though you like productivity. That's yeah, so interesting. Yeah. I like productivity, but I'm not creative. So creating feels draining to me. Okay. Implementing, fine. Creating, no thank you. So if that I had, like, not emailed you my play and been like, please get this published in New York City, that would have, like, you would have been implementing. Yeah, or edit it. Yeah, right. Great. I can <laughs> find all the grammar word nerd stuff. But... <laughs> Ugh, create? No, not relaxing. (laughs) Okay, so then bearing that in mind, because that's really great, because you're right, that's not going to appeal to everyone. So then what would it have looked like for you in that, given that concept? I want to, I want to be doing something that makes me Dina, Mm -hmm. not Sienna and Mark's mom. Well, and that's why for me that was enough, because I love to read, or Mm. I love to feel like, oh, I got enough done today that I've earned this little bit of relaxation. That feels like something I'm just doing for myself. Mm-hmm. So that did work for that's me. Great. Kind of like you said earlier, to some people, a nap sounds glorious. Well, if you can't nap, that's not how you would choose to do that anyway. Right. Right. That makes a lot of sense. And so what about as kids get older? Because if you haven't been doing it from the beginning, it is really hard mm-hmm. to suddenly implement. implement. <laughs> and also you have this other piece that your kids aren't used to you doing it. Mm-hmm. I see that too, where mom and dad have, or mom and mom or whomever and whomever have, <laughs> have waited a very long time to, to even, even start. start. And now the kids are like, hey, you don't leave me. You don't go take care of yourself. And they 
cry. And of course, that makes it so much harder for the parents to leave. And we're now we're in this vicious cycle. Yeah. And I, I one thing, if there was one thing I did well, I, I did set that up well. Because from the time my kids were small, because by the time they were one and three, I was a single mom. I did sometimes say no when they would ask to play with me. And at first, I just was like, this hurts. This mm-hmm. is ouchy. I feel like I'm rejecting them. But I wanted them. Again, it was a modeling thing for me and also a survival thing for me as a single mom. I wanted them to see me saying, nope, mommy has this to do right now. I can't. Mm-hmm. So they see I'm, a mom isn't all I am. But also that it is okay to say, I need some rest or I have a big day coming up tomorrow. I'm not available. Mm-hmm. And so I had at least done that well. And I will say that comes in seasons. We've talked about in the survival mode episode, maybe, or maybe it was a different one where there's times, oh, I think it was grief, where everything has to just stop, or mm-hmm. maybe it was emotional intelligence. It doesn't matter. Everything has to stop and you have to deal with that. I felt the same way. There were seasons where there's no way I'm going to say no to you asking to play with mm-hmm. me if I know you're going through a hard thing or whatever. Right now I'm in one with my daughter. She's going to move away in less than a year and go to college. She wants to hang out with me. It's a yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. I'm running out of time. However, I got good over the years at saying no. And like I said, I do literally peace out for a few days. I try to do that once a year and just even kind of unplug from mm-hmm. any technology. And I read and I pray and I think and I go on walks and I watch what I want because <laughs> the TV is not taken oh, up by glory. teenagers. <laughs> yeah. So it seems so silly, but just even deciding when to go to bed or not having to stay up because someone might want to have – this happens a lot with teens. They want to have a random, crazy, difficult conversation at oh, dark 30. Mm -hmm. So even just a few days to go, when I'm tired, I'm going to bed. Mm -hmm. If there's a book I want to read, I'm going to read it. If I don't want to answer my phone, I'm not going to. And they see mom's going away, but she's going to recharge her batteries and actually come back with more to give us. To be fair, my people now are older and can really understand that for what it is. But I do think, like I said, there was one little silver lining there. One thing I did well is I sometimes said no. And so now that they're grown, can you tell our listeners, I'm going to assume I know the answer to this, but I think that there's a, a tendency in our modern parenting culture, rejected your children, right? They are now messed up for life. Are your kids messed up for life? Do you, are they attached to you? Do you have a great relate? Like, what does it look like now? Do you see Actually, ramifications from that choice? I love your questions. I love them because that I, I'm excited to answer this one because no, they're fantastic. <gasps> really? They not only survived, but guess what? They also tell me no sometimes. Oh, you taught them to set in boundaries. a good way. I'll say that. you guys want to play a board game tonight, Mom. We have a lot of homework, and they don't do it with guilt. They're not like, oh, but we're so sorry. Right. It's just I can't. Right. Because they saw me do that. So I actually can say, in retrospect, I'm so glad I did that. But yes, in the moment, I thought, oh, are they going to feel, am I scarring them for life? Nope. Guess what? I didn't. Right. And I think, you know, for me, especially as someone who's all about the emotional stuff and all about the feelings, I actually totally agree with you. I think that it's how we do it, right? It's not like you said, no, I don't want to play with you. Right. Or your game is boring, right? That's what's going to hurt and harm them. But saying, I'm not available right now. I'd love to play with you later, you know, Mm -hmm. or whatever it is, allows them, just like you said, to learn that it's okay to say no. Because how many people do we know that 
they they can't say no. They can't say no to other people. At all. Right. So allowing our children to learn, it's okay to say no. It's mm-hmm. okay to say no, thank you. I love that. Can I just piggyback on that, though? Mm. You as a parent are going to play a lot of things that don't interest you, okay? Oh, yeah. <laughs> just just let's get that out there. And you do need to do that. Mm-hmm. But it is okay once in a while to say, you're lit- especially if it's true, that mm-hmm. you're not available or you really can't or mm-hmm. you're just not feeling the best. And then they learn that that's okay if they've got a heavy workload or a sports practice or... I would love to chat with you, mom. I can't right now. Mm-hmm. And they know that that is okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Because I think they have to see that we exist outside of them. They have to see that not just because we do and we should. They also have to see that because we don't want them to develop this the world revolves around me complex, which can happen, right? And and I Easily. think that people are always worried about like we don't want – you can't spoil your children is the concept. And I think that's probably true. But we can send the wrong message, right? We can set up boundaries that don't help us parent our best. And oftentimes that's how this stuff spirals. When we're not doing good self-care, we're setting up boundaries that don't help us be the best parent we can be. I think that's really true. So it's important. There again, the modeling becomes huge. Absolutely. I'm so excited about our quote today. (laughs) Such a a good good one. one. Yeah, this is by a gal who is a mom and is an author on parenting. And this is L.R. Nost, and she says, Taking care of yourself doesn't mean me first. It means me too. How critical is that? I love that. That this isn't selfish. It's not putting yourself ahead of your children. It's saying, I also matter. Mm -hmm. And for me to do my best job to love and serve you, I've got to take care of myself as well. Yeah, as well. I love, that's the key. You're not saying I have to take care of myself instead. You're saying I have to take care of myself as well. And not take care of myself before you or because I'm more important than you, but I also matter. Right. So for those of you that are out there that are trying to figure out what your self-care should look like, remember, it, it, there's not a right or wrong here. It's what is going to make you feel like you exist outside your children, what's going to recharge your battery, what's going to help you feel like when you come back from whatever it is, you actually can be a better parent. So for some of you, that's going to be reading. Some of you, that's going to be getting your nails done or taking a nap. Or for some of you, it's going to be creating something, using your brain. Whatever it is, do it. Don't be afraid to take care of yourself, too. For more information on our podcast and the work that we do, you can visit futurefocusedparenting.com. If you have ideas for episodes or a listener question, please email us. We love hearing from our listeners. Info at futurefocusedparenting.com. Like I said earlier, be sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram. Our handle is at Raising Adults Podcast. And if you like what you hear today, please give us that five-star rating. It's amazing how reviews and ratings really are the key to a successful podcast. Raising Adults is produced by Kira Dorian and Dina Thayer and recorded in my laundry room. Music by Seattle band Hannah Lee. Thanks for listening.